Our primary reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who was the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from the human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing grace and truth, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, the word of the Lord. There's this modern, modern poem that I think most of you have heard of. It's a very chicken soup for the soul-esque piece about a guy who has this dream that he's walking along a beach with God and he sees these two sets of footprints. One is his and one his God's. But he looks further back in his metaphorical life and he only sees one set of footprints and he gets a little concerned and he looks over to God and he says, God, like, where were you? Were you with me? And if you know how this poem ends, God responds to him and says, My child, where you see one set of footprints, it is I who carried you. Now, most of you don't know that the original ending of this actually was God pointing out to the man, My child, do you see that ravine in the sand? That is where I carried your whiny butt. (laughs) While you cried all the way. So, why does this poem, the final draft version at least, get framed into so many hallowed hallways of middle-class white women next to signs that say, live, laugh, and love? Someone feels called out right now. I actually think for a very good reason. I think this poem speaks to an existential human fear, and it is a fear of being spiritually, cosmically alone. And I say existential because I really do think this hits on a universal human condition that we have. This is something that is so scary for many of us to think too much about that we all find ways of coping with this fear in some form or fashion. And so if you're the spiritual type at all, the, the way you deal with this fear is that you hope, well, okay, there's maybe some kind of God or maybe there's angels or maybe some, you know, some divine beings, whatever they are, and, and whatever you call that divinity, well, that is with you, and that means you're not alone. And if you're not the spiritual type, then you're like, oh man, well, I want to have hope that I'm not alone too. Well, you are not left out of this equation, okay? You can hope that there's aliens, or maybe friendly ghosts, right? There's something bigger than a finite human species. 
But we also want this to be a little more personable, right? Because you know like that little cylinder on your desk name Alexa that's like listening to all your dinner conversations? That, that feels like you're not alone. That feels omnipresent, but that isn't going to cut it. We want to feel like not only are we not truly alone, but that which makes us not alone is also benevolent. It's good. Siri is just reporting us to our corporate overlords, okay? Deep down, we want to know that there's something bigger than myself. That its nature is better than myself. And that it is more enduring than myself. So I can know then on even my hardest days, even on those days you know, of deep depression, right, where you feel like you might be the last person on earth, even on those days, you're not alone. This is an existential problem that demands a solution. Enter religion, invented in the ancient Near East. Now, a lot of really cool things were being invented in the ancient Near East. You got the wheel, writing, uh, timekeeping, beer, you know, very important things. But all those things are only about 5,500 years old. In fact, makeup is actually 6,000 years old, which you know, really shows us where our priorities are. But get this. Archaeologists currently believe that organized human religion is 11,000 years old. Religion is twice as old as the wheel. What does that say about our priorities? What does that say about our deepest needs? Now, of course, I'm going to be oversimplifying here, but organized religion basically comes along and says, hey, do I have a deal for you? You are not alone, but not only that, we can identify these mysterious cosmic forces at work. We can name these deities, and not only that, but we can get them on your side to protect your body and soul. You just do what we tell you, and we got you covered. And so for the next 8,000 years... Religion, more or less, operates this structure. Even when we get to monotheism about 3,000 years ago, when people begin to realize, okay, well, maybe there's not like this multiverse of gods out there. Maybe there's just one God. Even then, there's not much deviation from the structure. However, one of those rare exceptions is this insignificant little Hebrew religion. A religion that is born out of slavery and oppression. And it becomes what we know today as Judaism. And within their stories, there are all these peculiar examples of God acting in these unconventional ways. Doling out mercy and grace outside of organized religion. It's like this God just wants to be nice for the sake of being nice. Not only that, but when you read the stories of the Hebrew people, you start to see all these odd prophecies here and there. They're like minority reports. And they start to paint a picture of a God 
that is far more intimate than all the other gods in the region. We heard an example of this in our first reading today from the prophet Isaiah who declares this. All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God? With us? Like, actually with us. Not like waving down from heaven. Not like coming to punish humans or or play a trick on us, but God being with us. No one has said anything like this. In fact... It's almost hard to believe. And for religion at the time, it was hard to believe. These prophecies remain the exception. They were never the rule. Even in Judaism, the rule typically went like this. We'll create a system to bring you up to God. We will make the necessary sacrifices to atone for evil. We will tell you if you're morally good enough to qualify being with God. But in our primary reading this morning, in the opening of the Gospel of John, we very quickly see a hint that if God is truly real, then God plans to permanently deviate from the structure of organized religion. Look with me in verse 6. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Now notice this. A human shows up to people and authoritatively says, let me tell you about God. And then we get this shorthand explanation that he was simply a witness. Meaning that people would inevitably start coming to this John the Baptist and be like, okay, so what religion are you starting I'm not starting any new religion. Oh, okay, then well, what do we need to pay you? you? You don't need to pay me anything. Okay, well, then well, what sacrifices need to be offered up? No sacrifices whatsoever. Okay, well, then what do we need to do? Surely we have to do something. Prepare your hearts. Why? Verse 9. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. Friends, this is not what religion does. If you've been around organized religion long enough, you know this is not how religion operates. This introduction should be the clue then that whatever happens next in the narrative will deviate even more from the structures of typical human religion. Let's look at verse 14. So the word. The word, by the way, is this Greek word, logos. The logos was thought to be the the spiritual source the cosmic wisdom, the the underpinning of all rationality. It is then 
that this logos, this word, that which we thought was operating behind the curtain finally comes and steps in. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So what does God do? God the Father, the Creator, through God the Son, the Redeemer, became human and made a home. With who? Us. Us. The spiritual source, the cosmic wisdom, the underpinning of all rationality comes to be with us. It turns out, all those ancient prophecies, all those minority reports were true all along. Why? Because the foremost desire of God was not to bring wrath. It wasn't to bring judgment. The foremost desire of God, his deepest desire was to bring grace and truth. And God brings the fullest expression of that grace and truth, not through the parchments of some holy books, but through a person who comes as a holy infant. The birth of Jesus, the word become human, is the ancient hope of the Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. Y'all, please don't miss how important this is. Y'all, if you hear nothing else tonight, please hear this distinction. The difference between religion and the gospel. The difference between religion and the good news that Jesus proclaimed is this. Religion says us with God. The gospel says God with us. That is 11,000 years ago, man-made religion started out by saying it's on us to reach, please, or become God. That weight, that burden was on us. But on Christmas, the true God, not our assumptions about God, not our preconceptions about God, but the true God refutes the central premise of religion. There is no system to bring us up to God. On Christmas, God comes down to us. There is no amount of sacrifices to atone for evil in the world. On Christmas, God is born to become the sacrifice for evil in the world. There is no amount of moral goodness that I can achieve to qualify me to be with God. But on Christmas, God's infinite goodness is embodied in Jesus, and he qualifies me. It's not us with God. 
It never was. It never could be. It's God with us. And if God is with us, then you are not alone. And yet, and yet it is one thing to proclaim this, but it's another thing to experience it, right? I know that some of you right now are hearing that God is with you, and you're like, yes. Yes, that's so true. God is blessing my life right now. But some of you are hearing God is with you, and you've had a really hard year. You might want to believe, but there are days where you don't see it. It looks like there's one set of footprints in the sand and you don't feel anyone carrying you. And right now, you would settle for Jesus dragging you. But here's the other key detail about Christmas when it comes to this idea of God with us. On Christmas, God was finally, truly, incarnationally with us. And almost no one saw it. I mean, this is where the cute manger scenes finally get it right. That there is probably more animals who witnessed the arrival of God than people. Think about that. Emmanuel was objectively visible. But practically invisible. John tells us in verse 10 that he came to the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. To see the fullness of what God would do in Jesus. A cross, a tomb, a resurrection, the defeat of sin and evil. That would take another 33 years. And yet, even though almost no one knew that God was with us, it didn't change that it was true. It didn't stop God from doing whatever it took to rescue us from sin and death. And if this was true for the whole world, then this may also be true for a season in your life. But the good news is that even on my hardest days, even on the days where I can't see it, I can rest in the comfort that God is with me in grace and truth. Christmas reminds us that even when I doubt, even when all the circumstances seem to indicate otherwise, even when I can't see it for myself, God is with us. And in enough time, you will see the fullness of God work itself out 
in your life. This Christmas, may you trust that God is with you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.